It's always so exciting to talk to someone with as much talent and a consistent style like yourself. And before we get into talking about Nepal and studio portraits and, and all of that, the first thing I need to know is how is it that you first got into photography? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question, honestly. I think uh, in, my, in my teens, I was sort of part of the, the hip hop culture. So doing skateboarding and, and graffiti and so forth and so on. And then within that particular uh, culture, it, it was, I mean, documenting what we were doing came pretty close at hand. So I think my, my interest sort of sparked around that time. So maybe 13, 14. And yeah, uh, since then it has sort of, you know, shaped form over the years. Um, but, but, it's, it's always been sort of lurking in, in the background and, and just in the, the recent couple of years, I've really sort of, um, went all in, so to speak, if that makes sense. And obviously starting off with photographing, I'm assuming like your friends skateboarding and, and the stuff that you're doing, you, you get used to photographing people. Is there something in particular about photographing people compared to say landscape photography or architecture that really inspires you? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's the, the human encounter, the human meeting. It's, it's such a beautiful thing, right? And, uh, not to downplay sort of the, 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 the aesthetics or, or the, the wonders of landscaping or architecture photography, but just the human encounter and, and, and the meeting and, and the dynamics of having a conversation with another person it's uh i mean it's hard to compare you know it's 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 i think in a sense um it's it's more organic even though <laughs> i know that word is kind of saturated but it's 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 growing in a sense um yeah i uh i i really learned to love it you know the dynamics of portrait photography well something that i absolutely loved about your work there's images of yours from Nepal, one particular portrait of a gentleman in Albania, loads of different images, and even the stuff that you do in studio, there feels like there's a piece of the person in every image. It doesn't feel like it's an image of someone trying to always look their best, as amazing as they do look. It looks like an honest portrait, which is actually something that I feel like gets lost quite a lot with portrait photographers these days. They get so caught up in making someone look as good as possible they don't always necessarily give you much of an honest portrait. What's your sort of process to make people comfortable with you and your camera? Oh, uh, great question. Again, I think it depends on the context. You were referring to Albania and Nepal and, and, and there you have a, a big language barrier. So then honestly, I, I just, I lower my guard as much as possible. I open up with a smile. And even though I know they don't, do not speak uh, the language, I try to sort of articulate my idea. So I uh, always sort of <laughs> pitch my idea and ask for permission, if that makes sense. And, and just, you know, body language, again, a big smile. And, and yeah, usually nine out of 10 times you get a yes. And sometimes you get a no, but, but Hey, that's just the way the cookie crumbles, I presume. Uh, and in the studio, it's, it's a different, different ballgame altogether. Then usually I sit down like you and I do right now, Chris, and, and, and yeah, I just try to have an honest conversation about sort of why we're doing this and, and who am I and where do I come from? Sort of tell my story a bit and, and then, yeah, try to be as, honest and as genuine as possible. And my experience is if, if you sort of, um, if you're communicating in that way, then sort of they will lower their guard as well. And, and then, 
yeah, you, you, I mean, you have a, oftentimes a, a really <laughs> a, a deep conversation about life and you sort of, yeah, you build trust. And then from there, sometimes it's half an hour. Sometimes, you know, you sit down for two hours before even taking the first picture. And then I feel like, okay, we got a, a nice vibe, a, a good mood in the studio. So let's begin making pictures. So that, that's my, my process, I would say. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm still, I still have a lot to learn, you know, and I'm, I'm still uh, refining it. But yeah, just trying to, to, to stay as real as possible. Um, that seems to be a good formula for, for portraits. Well, someone like Nepal in particular, I feel like having an incredibly big, expensive, flashy camera is going to be something that's going <laughs> to draw a lot of fear and maybe a lot of attention, a lot of apprehension from people. Yes. What do you do in terms of gear when you're somewhere like Nepal? Uh, for Nepal, uh, I, uh, I brought a, a, a digital DLSR and I've, I've been shooting uh, digital with Nikon for quite some time. So uh, I brought that. Uh, it's very reliable and, and I, I really like the imagery that, that comes from that particular um, camera. And then usually for travel photography, I bring a fixed 21 millimeter lens from Carl Zeiss and uh, a, a 50 millimeter or in Nikon's case, they have a, a beautiful 58. So, so that's my sort of go-to lenses. Um, I try to bring a tripod just because you never know what kind of, what kind of situations you will, you will face. But oftentimes I never use the tripod, but it's, it's always in my rucksack, you know? And are you showing them images as you go? Do you let them have a look at the back of the camera to kind of see what you're doing? Uh, oftentimes I ask for an, an email and if, if one of the so shots looks, looks really solid, I'll, I'll show them, you know, um, right there and then, but, but oftentimes I, I, I don't show pictures like that, but I'm very happy to sort of print them and send them via the, the postal office office or send an email. But, uh, I'm not sure how, how do you go about things when you sort of, when you're working, are you keen on showing your pictures on the go or do you prefer showing the final image? Do you know, it's funny if I'm photographing, so I photograph generally like actors, models, people like that. I have no major issue with showing them the camera. The only issue that does come up is just it slows down the process when you start to get a good flow and it feels like you're kind of working towards something. You're working through some ideas in terms of like expression and they want to see every other picture that can drive you a bit mad. Um, I tend to restrict yeah. <laughs> that. When it comes to weddings, and I don't know about around the world, in England, the younger generation of people have a very particular idea about the way that they look because they've seen themselves every single day in selfies. So they have this idea that every picture of them should look like it was taken with an iPhone from like just above head high with them standing in exactly the same position over and over again. And with weddings, I can find brides it sometimes doesn't serve so well to show them the back of the camera because they have a very fixed idea of what they think they should look like. I think, I think selfies are ruining a lot of people in England from sort of having good, honest pictures taken because they're so used to being in total control of the way that they look. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I suppose if you've grown up with, you know, the phone and, and, and the selfie expression, yeah. But, and I can definitely see how that sort of will, will, will ruin your, your workflow. It sounds challenging. You mentioned the language barrier and obviously somewhere like Nepal, it's, it's an enormous jump from English or Swedish yes. um, to, to, to speaking to people um, native to Nepal. Uh, how do you go about that? Do you have an interpreter with you? Do you, do you travel with someone that's going to sort of help get the message across? 
Uh, yes and no. For for the um, this particular trip in Nepal, I I had uh, a guide, and and I suppose maybe thirty percent of the pictures he was sort of present, and I think seventy percent he was not present. Uh, I think if you can afford a guide, it, it can really add some depth to your to your journey. Uh, I mean, so many anecdotes and stories will get lost in translation. And especially sort of if you're, uh, if you're wandering, you know, in, in the, um, in sort of the, the outskirts of the, of the trails and tracks, you will encounter some really beautiful people that, that, that have amazing stories to tell. And so I was quite fortunate to, to have him on my side, but, uh, again, I, I think just body language and smile a lot, just try to be, you know, expressive <laughs> through <laughs> through your body language it, it seems to work quite quite well honestly and then other journeys i i prefer actually travel by myself i kind of yeah i kind of yeah prefer that method you know do you uh do you have a a style of, of shooting when you're when you're sort of in in foreign land yeah I've, i i think like the most difficult i've had is photographing arabic people who weren't Obviously, they're not particularly keen on Western people because of recent years' yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fortunate in the sense that I'm I'm married to someone from Iraq, so I can I can kind of use that as a bit of an in. But most of the time, I'm when I travel, I'm I, I need to sort this out really. But I get far too fixated on on the places that I am than I am the people. Even though I like photographing people normally, when I travel, I seem to get completely. Um, I seem to get some kind of like brain freeze and I get so focused on the actual landscape or the architecture or something. And I think maybe because it's easier and I like to have kind of a bit of time off from um, photographing people because I photograph like, well, when there's not a, you know, a pandemic, I photograph like 70 weddings a year. I photograph oh, wow. probably a hundred times between that with different actors and models and stuff. And yeah, I, I tend to when I travel. I think maybe the language barrier is just more effort that I'm willing than I'm willing to put in because I'm already um, probably trying my luck by walking around with a camera when my wife just wants to have a nice holiday. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that too. But but let me ask you a question. So, so let, let's see that you have a, a person with a really interesting face facial expression and the lighting is just beautiful. And if you don't sort of challenge yourself to make that photo, to make that portrait, how do you feel afterwards? Oh, terrible. I feel like I've let myself yeah. down. It's <laughs> it's a lost opportunity. It's it's um yeah, it's it's not a good feeling at all. And I've definitely been there. I remember being in uh, the Emirates and we had just gone on like a sand safari, uh, been around some camels and there's an amazing, uh, group of Arabic men stood around smoking, chatting, amazing texture, amazing light. Everything was just, it looked like something out of like national geographic or something. And I was like, ah, I don't want to bother them. You know, I'll let them get on. We've got a lot of stuff to focus on. I won't bother with bother, you know, interrupting what they're doing. And then as soon as we left, I was like, fuck. Like I completely wasted that. I should have taken the opportunity and at least tried. So it's not something you feel good about. I totally agree. I mean, on that note, if you don't mind me asking, because obviously judging by your work alone, you can tell that you're someone that's fantastic at grabbing the trust of people um, that you want to capture their image. A lot of photography, especially in the formative years, in the early stages when people are learning, they focus on gear, they focus on technique, they focus on settings mostly. It's all very much camera structured and when you're photographing 
anything really. It's there's a lot of intangible skills. You know, if you're a landscape photographer, you have to be fit. You have to be able to get up early to go out to the right places to get there at the right time. You have to do your research on that. And if you're photographing people, there's a lot of intangibles to that. You have to be able to build that trust, like we've said. You know, how much of your skill as a photographer do you think is to do with the camera and how much of it is to do with like your personality? Again, Chris, great question. I think uh, hmm, I, ha- I might have to ponder that for a while. But I mean, the, the technical know-how, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, is it? But as you say, no. there are a few in- intangible sort of... Um, skills that that you that you need to have in the skill set in order to create beautiful images but but i think yeah man in the in the studio maybe 65 70 percent i i keep referring to numbers sorry about that but but That's sort okay. of uh, in favor of uh, you know uh really getting to know the person and and making uh, him or or her relax feel at ease open up I think, yeah, so it's, it's a 70, 30 ratio. Uh, but that said, of course, you need to be, you need to be on the ball. And uh, when it comes to, to lighting and shadows and tones and contrast and, and all that jazz, you know, uh, and just the, the black and white portraits that I've been posting on, on Instagram this year, it, it really started as a technical pursuit because I was very keen on, on the, uh, um, looking and sort of getting inspired by the the works of Irving Penn. And I really wanted to sort of, um, yeah, explore the the black and white portrait space. And so for me, then it started as a technical pursuit, you know, Uh, but but very, very quick, I realized, Hey, yeah, the the images are, it's, it's good fun. You know, it's rewarding, but really honestly, what sort of, what sparks me, what intrigues me is this, all these sort of great conversations that I have with these people. And I get to know, I get to expand sort of my social circles and yeah, this is truly great. I've it's, it's yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been very rewarding. I shall say. One thing I have noticed with your work, as well as getting these fantastic portraits of people that are very much aware that they're being photographed, you're able to capture quite a lot of candid moments that are, almost like you're a fly on the wall, you are capturing something where it almost feels like no one knew you were there. That's something that I really value as a skill for any photographer, that ability to not need to be center stage and to kind of blend in and capture stuff as it's actually happening. I think that's a sign of someone that's really comfortable with themselves as a photographer. In, you know, in your own preference, do you prefer images where the subject is very much aware of you or do you prefer those candid moments? Ah, wow. I think, um, yeah, candid moments, if they're, yeah, that, that would be my preference. That would be my favorite because there's an, 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 a big element of honesty and, and authenticity in those shots. And then again, I mean, directing people can be, uh, can be interesting as well. It, it sort of depends on, on the context and the setting. And then again, on the subject, I mean, as, as you well know, Chris, if you're shooting act, actors or actresses or dancers, I mean, they, they will, they, they will behave like, you know, uh, like, uh, that's all they've been doing 
for their yeah. entire life standing in front of the camera and it will make your work very easy and then just you know just like a, a few pointers here and there but basically you're just press, pressing the, the shutter but if you have somebody who's very sort of awkward in front of the camera then it's a then it's a different ball game and, and if you can find candid shots among such a person it, it yeah i think it can be really 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 nice and, and beautiful i'm not sure if that's the answer that you're looking for but but yeah it's sorry if you don't mind me asking what do you do if you you don't like a person and you're kind of charged with taking their own, <laughs> you like you like the look of them but perhaps they're not the most agreeable person how do you kind of push through that oh wow so many good questions man wow <laughs> <laughs> um I, I, uh, of course, you know, the, the sort of the chemistry that you have with another person, that's a, that's a big thing in, in, in photography, right? I think just stay professional in, in your role and try to find some like a topic or, um, a passion point where you can, where you can have some common ground and, and try to build from that. Um, yeah. How do you go about it? It's the hardest part of my job, honestly. It's like, um, when you're photographing someone, especially weddings, if you're photographing someone on their wedding day and it does happen very rarely that they are just incredibly unlikable or that you don't mesh personalities, it's very hard to show mm. someone in the best light and in the, in the best way, uh, so to speak, when they're someone that you just don't really, um, they don't make you feel particularly positive. So it's, it took a long time for me to figure it out. But my my main way was to kind of this is going to sound terrible and I really hope that I don't sound too bad here, but it's to kind of, when it's like that, I treat people like props and I focus more on the technical side of things so that I get my head out of being um, frustrated with maybe the interaction side of things. So I can kind of go a little bit onto autopilot with the interaction side of things and focus on the technical side of things. And then we can work through things a bit better. It's more about how I'm, how I'm focused rather than the actual interaction. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, thanks for, for sharing that. I'll, I'll uh, have that in mind <laughs> as I move forward. But and let me ask you another question then. Have, have you ever said no to an assignment uh, based to the fact that, well, I'm not really sort of jiving with this person. Chemistry seems off. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, to be honest. Um, yeah. I, 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 more, I mean, the most common reason for me to kind of back out of something or to not want to take part in something is that I don't think that what they're after is something that I'm suited to. And I don't want, mm. I don't want to do, I like, I think there's enough work out there for photographers that you don't have to grab every piece of work available and do stuff that's not going to make you happy or that doesn't suit your style. It's going to end up making you look bad or, or anything like that. So I will, I'll turn stuff down if I just don't think it quite connects with what I want to be doing. But yeah, there's, there's been occasions where like, it's just very obvious that it's not going to be a fun experience and that it's going to be very hard to push through the negativity. And in that case, I'll just sort of, I'll, I'll make a, a good excuse for why I'm not available. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I think it feels pretty good every now and then just, just to, you know, to say no to an assignment. If you yeah. have oh, sort God, of yeah, yeah, good, yeah. good reasoning behind it, I think it sort of builds your, your confidence in a sense, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it makes you feel like you're in demand because you can walk away from something. Yeah, and also that you have integrity of sorts, right? Yes, hundred percent. Um, right, I, I'm 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 very worried about taking too much of your time. And and one of the ways that I actually found you was with your black and white images. You mentioned about 
uh, being inspired by pen. One of the things that actually jumped out to me about the black and white studio images that you had taken was the consistency. And something that I'm very excited about whenever I find a new photographer is the consistency of their work, how, how much they can sort of reproduce something, develop a style, and you can see the evolution of that style as opposed to every other image is completely wildly different from the last. So it's hard to pin down exactly what it is that they do. In your opinion, how important is it to you to be an incredibly consistent photographer and show your style that way? I think it's it's um, very important. And, and for me, this was an exercise I really wanted to, to commit and uh, articulate my voice as a photographer. Uh, and in, in that sort of context, um, yeah, I, I really felt that I need to do something um, do something proper and do something stringent over time. And I said to myself, when, when the whole sort of pandemic thing happened, I said, all right, this is a great opportunity for me to stay, stay positive and stay productive because we have a, a, a shared studio. It's actually an old spaghetti factory in Stockholm and, and, and all my uh, <laughs> photography mates, they were, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But basically I had a place to myself and I said, Oh, this is a great opportunity to really sort of create. And, and, um, that's what I set my intention to do. And that's what I've been doing. I haven't been posting all of my, uh, far from, you know, all of my portraits, but I'm gearing up towards sort of, uh, uh, gearing up towards an, an exhibition in, in early early of next year but going back to your question i, I think uh, and especially sort of in in, <laughs> in the in the instagram aesthetic side of things you know it's consistency is key right but i can mm-hmm. also feel to some extent that it can be it can be a, a constraint because mm. yeah, uh, yeah i'm not sure how you go about things but because then again you you want to to show um that you're able to to um, manage all type of assignments, maybe not all types, but you, that you have sort of that you have a wide skill set, if you know what I mean. And if you're only working within a, a very sort of a niche, a, a small genre, then perhaps a few clients will will miss your uh, yeah other other skill sets. Um, well, a common problem I think with photographers that have a sort of all the gear at their disposal and maybe are a bit sort of scatterbrained is that they they sort of jump wildly from one idea to the next and the yes. lack of of constraints as you put it the lack of that actually sort of limits their their chances of doing anything decent i think that decent being sorry in the in the english sense of like good not decent as in like yeah <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm using, I'm using terribly dated <laughs> slang, but it limits their ability to do something, um, to do something sort of consistently great, I guess, or to improve time on time. One thing with adding those constraints, as much as I actually find them to be sometimes crippling because I have a little bit of OCD when it comes to the way that I work, is that if you take a photographer that's struggling to pick their style or they're struggling to find their voice, if you just start to limit things like their gear and they're, you know, in studio, maybe limit their lighting setups and so on, that will start to help them flesh out what it is that they're actually trying to do as a photographer. Because sometimes when things aren't working, people just revert back to the same. Well, if we just change, you know, if I change lenses, all of a sudden it's going to be a better photo and it doesn't really work that way. 
Yeah, that's that's a, a great articulation of what I was trying to say. Thank you, Chris. That that was great, <laughs> and and that's sort of an advice I, I tend to give to if I have friends or acquaintances that are getting into photography. I say, hey man, just get yourself a thirty-five millimeter lens or a fifty, and and yeah, just use that for a year and see where it takes you. And then you can add sort of maybe, you know, strobe lighting, or then you can go for a wider angle, or then you can dive into something else. But yeah, just really get to know a, a focal length or a, a certain kind of light and just be in that space. I think it's it's very rewarding, as you say, then you really can sort of yeah, f- f- flush out the, the things that are not working and, and really focus and honing in on sort of what, what, what makes you spark as a photographer. And then in terms of the work that you enjoy, are you someone that sort of values that consistency? Is that if you find a photographer that, okay, they might have um, not every image might not be the best image you've ever seen, but if they have a, a style that you really enjoy and they consistently show that style, is are you more likely to sort of track the progress of that photographer compared to someone that might have an amazing image followed by 10 random, not so amazing images that just they don't match the style of what you first enjoyed? Yes, I, I really gravitate towards consistency definitely it's a good question and and if i if i uh reflect a bit on sort of the photographers which work i really admire and love i think yeah i mean the, the motives and the scenery and sometimes the light etc can can change of course and the assignments can change but you can always see that sort of that, that red thread that binds everything together style wise so yeah it's um Consistency, I, I think, for me, is is very captivating. How how do you think? How do you feel about consistency? It's a great question. It's something that drives me absolutely mad when I see. Uh, so if I'm scrolling through Instagram or if I'm on something like 500px and I find an image that I just think looks absolutely amazing, I click on it, I go to look through the guy's work, and then every other image doesn't match the first one I found. I find it like it sort of it malfunctions my brain. It irritates me because I feel like I found someone that's going to be like a future source of inspiration. And then it turns out that they, they're a band that just had like one hit and all their other songs were terrible. And it's just very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, I went to um, Finland about seven years ago. I actually went to the Arctic Circle in Finland and photographed a wedding. Uh, in February. Oh, wow. And I, one, one thing I do remember very distinctly as an incredibly inexperienced photographer at the time um, was that, you know, Scandinavia in February isn't sort of flush with light. It's a fairly restrictive place to shoot <laughs> in terms of the light that you have available. Add in, of course, the weather compared to what we have in England, which is just constantly drizzling. It's not cold. It's not warm. It's not anything. If you don't mind me asking such a stupid and potentially offensive question, is being a Scandinavian photographer quite difficult given the light that you actually have available? Uh, yes and no. Going back to the constraints, I think each each season has its qualities. And um, I mean, I, I can just fell in love with, with the sort of the racking lights, the morning lights, the, the late afternoon lights in the month of January and February, even though it's... It's getting very close to, to the UK in terms of the gray pulp, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and I think uh, since you know that you will only have a certain amount of quality light during those months, let's say uh, 
the first quarter of the year, then then perhaps you're you're more keen on planning ahead. You know, so if if this scenario happens, what will I do? So and and then it becomes more valuable in a sense, if that makes sense. Mm. And then again, I mean, if you if you're pushing towards May, June, July, then you know you have beautiful light. I did a shoot um, just the weekend after Midsummer, a editorial shoot, and we were shooting at eleven thirty in the night, you know, and it was just magical. So it, it's it's a double-edged sword. But but going back to uh, to the question of constraints, I think uh, yeah, the the constraints can be a beautiful thing. And then in terms of like the actual community over there with photography what's the what's the swedish attitude towards photographers in england we are not always particularly welcome with members of the public because i guess there's a stereotype i don't know about elsewhere in the world but in england there's a bit of a stereotype which is that photographers sometimes can be uh i've got to try and say this in a way that doesn't completely isolate the podcast to make me sound like a horrible person but essentially the stereotype in england is that quite a lot of photographers are kind of dirty old men that like taking pictures of women i see uh i think that can be a um a misconception at times maybe Mm -hmm. uh but but honestly just the, the the feedback that i've been getting from 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 people is is basically it's like oh so so you're doing photography oh wow that's 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 amazing so you can you can work with your passion really oh wow right. that's a beautiful thing that's more the sort of the feedback that I get on a on a high level but of course it depends on your style of photography as well I <laughs> I mean if you only have sort of bikini pictures of of yeah. you know teenagers yeah that might set the alarm off <laughs> <laughs> it might you know. Let's talk about these the subjects that you've had in studio for the black and white images. What, yes. what makes a great in-studio subject for you? What's what's your ideal subject in studio? What do they have to be as a person? A character, for sure. And then how do you define a character? Well, it's 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 it can be hard, but but ideally somebody who has a story to tell, an interesting story that that sparks my interest, you know, and mm-hmm. then. Then I think, oh, that's that's be a nice challenge. I wonder if we can create a magical portrait. I think we can, and that usually gets me going. You know, so a character in terms of I've been living an interesting life, or or sometimes it can be a character, just a a, a strong face. You know, a strong expression. So one of the two would be, yeah, would be um, the basis for for a um, a good good studio subject. Uh, how, how, how do you think about that? I, I tend to, pref- you know, when it comes to actual the shoot as opposed to the end shot, I prefer photographing men. I find them much easier to break down the initial wall of, of what I was saying earlier about having that particular idea about the way that they want to look. Men tend to be a lot more open to interpretation when they're being photographed. And then really, I my most important thing is that we're not, my biggest turnoff as a photographer, like the thing that completely destroys a shoot for me is when we start having conversations about social media, when they start talking about how many okay. followers they have or <laughs> algorithms or anything like that. The second that starts, I'm just so, I'm so shut down as a photographer. So as long as we avoid that, I mean, we could talk about almost anything. I mean, at the moment, obviously politics is something that gets quite frustrating because it comes up just about, you know, every subject people want to talk about politics at the moment. And sometimes that's not always the best because it steers people's mood sometimes towards the negative. 
Oh, that's that's interesting. It's just something where I I, I, th- I find men are easier. This is going to sound terrible, but I find men are easier to manipulate their mood. You know, you can you can kind of you can set them up a lot easier, um, and they're a lot less guarded than than female female subjects are. Oh, that's that's interesting. Just a, a reflection. Um, going back to politics, I'm not sure why that is, but I, I think I'm. I'm 70 portraits deep in, in this black and white story. And I don't think mm. never once did I talk about politics, which is <laughs> when I think about it, it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I might have jinxed you now. It might happen on the next one. And if it does, it's all my fault. <laughs> nice. If you don't mind me asking, because obviously we've talked about that, that consistency in style and so on. How do you go about sort of getting feedback on your images? Do you, do you, speak to photographers that you know and trust? Do you speak to non-photographers? Do you just absorb what naturally comes back to you from somewhere like Instagram or wherever? How do you, how do you go about sort of judging the feedback that you get on your images? Uh, another great question. I, I think that is definitely a, a, a area where I can, I can improve and I can be more active. But honestly, um, my wife is sort of uh, my, uh, the one who validates my photography the most. <laughs> and so, so I always refer to her. And then I have a, a few good photography friends where I, I, I wouldn't say that it's so structured. It's more, it's more on the fly. Hey, what do you think about this and that? But I'm really looking to sort of um, uh, foster a, a circle of photographers. Maybe it's it's a bi-weekly or a bi-monthly gathering, but you bring sort of your best five photos and you have a constructive conversation about your work and, and with, with the intent to grow as a photographer. So I'm, I'm really looking looking yeah, forward to, to set that up. And in November, I'm doing a, a three-day workshop just yeah, based on the black and white project with a, a curator and, and a few other people. And, and then hopefully I, I can really absorb some, some, some detailed feedback on my work. But uh, yeah, I, I think absorbing feedback, it's, it's huge. It's, it's really a great recipe to, to grow. And then for the Instagram side of things, I mean, that's, that's, that's treacherous, right? It's interesting how it sometimes can sort of manipulate you to 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 showcase work that you're not really feeling, but you know it, it might sort of resonate with your followers or with the algorithm or whatever. But I think, it, yeah, it, if if your intention as a photographer is to sort of win on Instagram and and have a, a big account, yeah, that might be the way forward. And but if you're if you're committed to creating. Uh, photography that is interesting to you and, and that hopefully, you know, will, will, will spark an emotion from the viewer. Then I think that way of thinking is counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. We actually, I had a conversation on, on the, on the subject, uh, a few, a few podcasts ago and something that, that I brought up then. And, um, it's kind of, I've been, I, I tend to be very stream of consciousness when I speak, I, 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 like most men, I don't think I think before I open my mouth. <laughs> and, some, and sometimes that works wonderfully and I actually surprised myself and and something that I said uh, a couple of podcasts ago is about uh, Instagram almost being like a strange anchor for creativity because um, people that are creative uh, have never had this metric before to find out how liked they are in the same way as what they have with Instagram you know the number of followers number of likes and so on and what that's meant is that people have been more focused on chasing uh, what is going to be metrically, you know, uh, sort of c- can be counted how popular it is as opposed to doing what their expression is. So a lot of people have veered completely away from doing 
um, something that you know speaks to them that is expressive to them and they've actually sort of just gone down the road of chasing whatever trend is going to get them the most attention on social media and I think it's going to be very interesting when we pull the rug out and that's so because they all do they go through a cycle and when Instagram eventually does finish its cycle and we move on to the next thing how much Mm. people chasing those numbers are going to how they're going to kind of deal with that being pulled out from them because if you're leaning really hard on just being popular and then we pull the popularity away you're kind of you're going to be a bit empty i think yeah no no i agree 100% i i think it's um it's it's very interesting you know the, the social media side of things and again depending on how you use it but instagram obviously goes without saying but but you need to be there as a photographer it's a great channel for marketing etc and showcasing your work your portfolio but and also this hyper validation you know since there's there's so much talent on instagram so quite quickly at least i can find myself looking at my work and then validate towards somebody else's and say oh my, my work is horseshit you know so I think you have to be, you have to be mindful of, of sort of, yeah, that, that aspect of it too. Cause you're on the subject. If we talk self-evaluation a little bit here, yeah, you know, wh- where you are now as a photographer, do you feel like you're on course in, in the direction that you want to be going on and the destination you eventually want to kind of end up at as a photographer? Do you feel like you're like generally, obviously we all have bad days, we all have good days, but on the whole, do you feel like you're on course to, to, you know, in the right direction for where you want to be going as a photographer? Uh, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that with a, with a humble tongue, but yeah, 100%, I, I definitely feel that I, I am on course and I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, it's been my second year as a full-time photographer. And of course, as you say, you have good days and you have bad days, but I think, um, just, yeah, I'm, I'm perhaps I'm deviating from the question, but just being able to, to do work that you are passionate and do work that you're really sort of interested about in, in photography. It's, I think if you, if you're able to do that, man, then you are on course, you know, good yeah. things will happen for sure because you have that enthusiasm you have that spark of passion and i'm sure you have the drive yes good things will happen you are on course you know just stay there every once in a while you know you will you will have you will be hit by a curveball but just up in the saddle again you know back to the drawing board back to sort of your your goals for the year revise them where are we going sort of yeah it's uh, i i feel that way how do you feel man oh, i i tend to deviate between uh, thinking I'm the worst photographer on earth and then thinking on a good day that I've got a hell of a lot of improving to do. So I tend to sit on the very bottom end of the scale of of being happy with where I'm going with things. But the one thing I've always said, and I've been really consistent about this, and I always get, there's, there's usually about 90% of the time people give me a really funny look about this or they think I'm being completely dishonest. I um, sort of ideally, I'd like to be the worst photographer in the world because- That's interesting. Well, I, I absolutely genuinely love photography. I, I spend hours a day looking at photography. Obviously, I do the podcast. I speak with photographers. I spend all of my energy sort of searching out people at the moment to come on the podcast and, and to sort of put their work out and inspire people. I love photography so much. And if I'm the worst one in the world, um, that means that everybody else will be in, inspiring me. And um, I genuinely just feel a lot of passion for photography in general. And I just maybe... My problem is I don't know how much I'm contributing to sort of the zeitgeist of photography in general, but 
yeah, I, I'm not someone that's overly happy with my work. I tend to be someone that every sort of nine to 12 months deletes every image on their Instagram and starts again and cathartically, <laughs> uh, manically tries to put together something looking a bit like a portfolio and fails miserably. And then I repeat the cycle. Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to to uh, uh, revert back to, to your question. I, I totally relate to to what's your expression as well, Chris. And and mm-hmm. I have huge doubts about my skill set as a photographer. Huge, honestly. Uh, so it, it's not that I, I'm, I'm, you know, um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm struggling to find the, the English word. It's, it's not that I'm blowing air up my ass, you know, <laughs> but just in terms of, of uh, feeling that you have somewhat of a good rhythm, uh, feeling yeah. that you have a, a good vibration in, in your line of work. Yes, that I feel right now. But that does not take away from the fact that <laughs> oftentimes I look at my imagery and, and think that they're shit, you know. I just wanted to be clear on that note. Well, I, I, yeah, it's, 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 you definitely weren't coming across like that. I think it's... Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> no, but it's, it's one of those things where if someone's looking at work of the standard of yours and they can hear that you are not always 100% happy, I think for a lot of people that are developing their style or maybe aren't as positive about their own work, it can actually be quite reassuring because it shows that being insecure or having self-doubt is actually part of being a creative. It's not something that you should feel bad about. It's just that's just part of being someone that's putting their expression out there is that you're not always going to be happy with it. And I think people misinterpret showing a bit of vulnerability as making themselves look bad, when in actual fact, it's not. We pretty much all feel some flavor of the same way about it. It's just a lot of people hide it and pretend that they think that every image they take is amazing. Yeah, no, no, the, the self-doubt is, is definitely a part of, of, of putting yourself out there and then putting, putting out work, at, at least for me. It, it, it's, uh, it can be crippling at times, but I think it's also a part of, of the human condition, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think, uh, and I'm eager to hear how you go about that, but, but for me, just um, trying to um, change the framing of that into curiosity, for me, it, it seems to, to work quite well so really trying to to foster our mind of, of of curiosity and yeah cultivating that that feeling inwards you know so yeah. what okay so this should be then go <laughs> as i plan hmm, but what, what what can i learn from this experience because there's always things to to, to learn right and yeah. I mean, in, in jujitsu, you talk about white belt mentality in, in, in Buddhism, you talk about beginner's mind, this, this type of, of, of reasoning and thinking has, has, has many names, but I, I think it can really be beneficial in the, in the creative field, you know, just, yeah, there's always so much to learn, you know, always. As much as he's an unlikable dickhead, Conor McGregor says you either win or you learn. And I think that's a pretty good yeah. um, mentality <laughs> to have. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. No, he's <laughs> no, he's on point. He could beat the shit out of me, but he is a bit of a dickhead. So very quickly, because I, I again, I really don't want to take up too much of your time and I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. When it comes to inspiration, a lot of people sort of deviate quite wildly on this. It seems to be a bit of a polarizing subject. Um, are you someone that that sort of surrounds yourself with inspiration uh, in terms of like mood boards or photo books and whatnot? Or are you someone that when you're about to shoot, you kind of completely shut all that stuff out so that you kind of avoid sort of subconsciously copying other people's ideas? 
Another great question, Chris. Thanks for asking that. I'm, I'm beginning to sound like a broken record here, but it, it's, it's, it's really good, good questions. Uh, so in terms of mood boards, yes, I, I love mood boarding. Uh, I, I'll do that not every day, but, but yeah, very often if I see a strong visual, if I see a strong photo, I'll, I'll, I'll bookmark it or I'll save it in my folder or I'll print it out or I'll buy the book. Definitely. And, and in terms of my own method as a photographer, I, I always want to have some sort of reference uh, for what I'm aiming for at the shoot. It, it can be like a certain posture. It can be a, a facial expression. It can be an overall emotion. But, but I always have it in my back pocket, you know, and, and, and I'm not afraid of, of bringing it out if I feel that I hit a wall during the, the session. So as a, as a insurance, you know, I'm not necessarily dictating the, the shoot upon that image, but it's something that I want to have close by if I feel that, okay, we sort of, <laughs> we're stuck here. And, um, as, as I'm, I, I try to stay inspired as much as possible, definitely. So I try to uh, have, um, inspiring friends and I try to do <laughs> inspiring stuff, I suppose. And also you mentioned the topic of, of, of photo books. Yes. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a hoarder when it comes to photography books. It's, uh, <laughs> I just look at my library here. It's yeah. My, my wife is not so happy about all the books, but, um, <laughs> but, but I am, let me put it that way. Well, there's worse ways to spend money than books. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a great investment to be honest, especially photography books. Uh, that said, I also, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound rather cliche. Sorry about that, but just the tactile, uh, emotion of having a book in your hand. And I think photography as a meaning as a medium really shines through on sort of on the, on the print, on the paper. So I'm, um, I'm looking at photo books every day. You've mentioned pen. And, um, I think that for anyone that really, um, has spent even, you know, half a minute looking at his work can completely, uh, you can fall in love and you can kind of get a little bit lost. And, and also it can kind of, uh, it can sort of destroy a little bit of your, uh, self-confidence. It can be very humbling (laughs) to see the work of someone like him. Are, Are there any other, are there any other names that jump out as like big inspirations of yours? Uh, yeah, perhaps not within that genre, but if I, if I take a step back, I really like, um, Jonas Bendixson from, from the Magnum collective is, is very inspirational on many, many levels, uh, going back to the, the black and white vein, Sebastian Salgado is a, is a true master, uh, perhaps, perhaps the goat. Um, in terms of commercial portraits, I really like Joey L. His, uh, his, his way of working with, with lighting is it's just beautiful, mm. really inspirational. And, um, yeah, the, 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 um, I mean, there's, there's so many, so many good photographers. Uh, I, I can, I'm just looking in my, yeah, there's a beautiful book. Um, if you're into portraits and it's, this guy is uh, a New Zealand photographer. His name is, uh, Rotman, I, I can send you his, his details afterwards. And he has a beautiful mm-hmm. book called Mongrealism. It's about this uh, Kiwi uh, motorcycle gang. And, and he's just, he's, he's been making some beautiful large format portraits. It's really captivating. I mean, it's, it's so, so powerful. So yeah, lots of inspirational photographers. Uh, how about yourself, Chris? Do you have any, any that comes to mind? 
Yeah, I've got, <laughs> yeah, I could probably bore people all day. I mean, ones that immediately jump out, ones that just always stop me, um, Agatha Surge in Poland, uh, Peter Lindbergh, obviously, I think Peter Lindbergh should be on everyone's um, sort of go-to list of, of how to photograph big personalities. Yeah. Peter Coulson's a big one for me. Uh, Emily Soto, uh, you know, I, I could probably just also direct people to the list of podcasts that I've done for people that inspire me because that's that tends to be the way that I go. Everyone that whose work I love, I tend to badger about coming on the podcast and hope that they will. And then I can ask them some annoying questions. And the, the whole point of the podcast is essentially just to push people in that direction anyway. And basically it's a big yeah. list of me saying, these are people that inspire me, go and follow them, go and look at their work, go and go down that rabbit hole. I, I have a question for you. And it's something I've asked almost every portrait photographer. And today, I don't think maybe one person has actually been able to answer it without sidestepping it. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this question and I'm putting a lot of faith in you here to break the cycle of people not answering. So right now in your black and white project, let's say, or an environmental portrait, however you want to do it, if there was one person you could photograph, who would the one person be? Dead or alive? Uh, up to you. Miles Davis. Oh, wow. That was really straightforward. Yeah. How come? Uh, I've just been, I'm, I'm a big fan. And um, ever since I read his biography, I was just blown away about his, his story, his, his, um, his way of living, you know, uh, his, his, his beautiful artistic expression, just such a, seemed to be such a rich person in many ways. And, and uh, obviously uh, with a, a, <laughs> a very dysfunctional lifestyle too. But just an interesting, interesting human being altogether, right? So, so fascinating. So is it the case then that you're, and, and excuse the way that I'm going to phrase this, obviously, this is coming off the top of my head, but you kind of are using photography as a, a human study for yourself? 100%. Yes. Um, yeah, um, it, it didn't start that way necessarily, but but yeah, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's something that it, it uh, worked into, I suppose. And um, it's a beautiful thing. It's also a wonderful motivation as well. Yes, it is. But, but uh, again, I'm, I'm going to sound rather cliche, but, but it is very interesting how the camera, how photography really can work as an, as an alibi, you know, to, to, <laughs> to hijack somebody that you would like to have a conversation with. I know you do that because you have this beautiful podcast that you're working on and um yeah it's uh it's it's really a, a door opener you know a key to mm. to to rooms and dorms that doors that's that's otherwise might have been been locked or not reachable you know yeah so it's definitely one of the, the big perks with photography the way i see it at least so we'll do a couple of quick fire questions and then i'll let you get on with your day First question is, what do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer? My biggest strength as a photographer, I, I would refer back to the, the, the people person aspect that I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at getting people to relax and being themselves in front of the camera. So that would be my, yeah, my biggest quality. And then on the flip side, what do you think your biggest weakness is? My biggest weakness is... I think uh, doing, I have so many weaknesses as a photographer. I'm not sure which one to pick, but honestly, I, <laughs> yeah, ed editing, I think is a big weakness of mine. 
what uh, in terms of ability or just y- your style or uh i think uh, ability and also the amount of time that i put into it yeah i think oh, it can okay. be um a big a big time thief of sorts oh yeah 100% yeah and i think as well if you've ever if you've ever I don't know, it's, it's a big barrier because you take an image that you want to share with the world and then the editing sort of prolongs the pain of wanting to to put the stuff out, you know what I mean? So it's it's Definitely. almost like it's, I mean, it can be good in that way that it kind of holds you back from posting stuff or, or you know, publishing stuff too early um, before you've had a good chance to kind of absorb what you've done. But one thing I struggle with massively when it comes to editing is is actually the image selection in the sense that I have that problem of like emotional attachment to certain images or I remember certain parts of a shoot more fondly than others and then I gravitate towards mm. those images and they, they might not be the strongest ones and, and that you know having that period of time helps yeah yeah for sure and and do you also reiterate your work with a, a co-worker or yeah yeah so I I do what I do what you do I I go to my boss which is my wife and make sure that she's content <laughs> with what my selections are she tells me whether I'm right or wrong and then I'm allowed to move on from there well said, mate. Well said. <laughs> All right. So the absolute most important part of the podcast, if nothing else is taken from it, it's this bit, which is the fact that the podcast is to help people find amazing photographers. That's why you're on here. I want people to find your work. Um, so where are the best places on the internet for people to find you? Oh, uh, definitely. Just go to Instagram and, and uh, martin.kissling at Instagram. That's that's my IG handle. And, and that's where I'm most... Um, uh, yeah, that's where I, I put my work basically. And, and I'm working on, uh, re, uh, re my, my homepage, my portfolio, but I'm not quite there yet. So, so yeah, please, uh, please follow me on Instagram and, and, uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. Martin, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Likewise, buddy. I, I love what you do. Keep it up. Very inspiring. Very inspiring.